Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. You guys ready to go? Uh, Acts chapter 26, we're going to dive in. This is our very first message in this brand new series. And over the next three weeks at least, maybe four weeks, but for sure three weeks, I want to talk to you guys a lot about how we as a church, we as believers, and again, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you're in the right place. We love skeptics and we love people that don't believe what we believe. If you're atheist or agnostic or Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim and you're watching online or in person, you're in the right place. Can we give every, all those people a hand clap today? We love you. Religion doesn't welcome anybody that's not like them. But what's interesting about Jesus is that people that were nothing like Jesus love Jesus. So why is it that are people that are nothing like Christians today don't like Christians today? I want you to know that one of the things that Jesus did is he was attractive to the world. And so today, I want to open up a message that I believe, whether you believe in God or not, he's going to speak to everyone that wants to listen. And uh, we're going to start a series called Promises, and my thought is the next few weeks I was praying, and I felt this deep burden that many people are dying, uh, dying of causes, whether it's naturally or spiritually, uh, 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 in areas that God has actually went to the cross to give us access to fulfill. It reminds me of a story I read about a, a homeless man that actually passed away of hypothermia living under a bridge in Montana in the, in the 80s. And what this guy didn't know was that two years before he passed away, his great-grandmother passed away, and she was heir to one of the, the wealthiest railroad people in America. And this guy was actually homeless. He didn't have any idea, but he was actually worth over $300 million. He didn't know it, and so he died in a condition that he should have never died in. And I felt this burden in a climate right now of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty. we got to remind ourselves of promises that we have, that we are not just sons and daughters of God. We're not just servants of God. We are heirs, heirs of the promises. And so the next few weeks, my hope would be, whether you're in a good place or a challenging place, I want to remind you that we are the type of people that, that build our lives on promises. Is that all right? So Acts chapter 26, I'm going to read a few verses. And again, to give you a backdrop here today, Paul is getting ready to stand on a jury, st- uh, 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 excuse me, what's the stand in a courtroom? Uh, the stand? We'll call it the stand. It was a hill song back in the early 2000s. Kidding, Christian jokes. Um, but listen, uh, he's standing in front of the king at that point, and he's getting ready to give an explanation of why he's in prison, why he was arrested for spreading a new religion throughout the world called the Way. And essentially, what happens is he stands before the king. This is his window to actually talk to one of the most influential humans alive in this era. And I love this crazy, this crazy conversation. But let's begin reading in chapter one of verse twenty-six. Then the king Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Paul stretched out his hand and uh, answered for himself. He says, I think think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things which I am arrested and accused of by the Jews, especially because you are an expert of all the customs and questions which have come to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Now, FYI, this is the longest message recorded in Paul's ministry in the Bible. 
He basically, it's broken into five categories. He says, I was a Pharisee. I saw the light. I heard a voice. I obeyed the voice. And I continue to live for God. That's his message. But what I love is, is he says this. He goes, uh, he says, um, here's my manner of life from my youth, uh, which I was from the very beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem. Uh, and the Jews all know this about me. They knew that from me first, they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sector of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Verse 6 is our focal point for today. I love what he says here. He could have said anything. But his explanation to the king at that point in time was this. He says, but I'm here today, and now I stand. Say it with me, stand. I stand now, and I am judged before all these people for what? For the hope of the promise that was made by God to our fathers. I stand as a prisoner. I stand as a witness, as a, as a living witness of the promises, the hope that I have in the promises of the God of our fathers. He goes on in verse 8. He says this. He goes, um, to the promise of to our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day to hope to attain for this hope's sake. King, I want you to know that I'm accused by the Jews for this reason. And he goes on, he talks about the resurrection that he believes is a part of the promises of God. That God is a God that got Jesus out of the grave. And when you and I, whether we live 70 or 90 years, 100 years, when we pass away, he says, there is a promise of a resurrected life. I think it's interesting because we see here in this passage that Paul was standing in front of this crazy moment of time. And uh, what I want to point out to you was this, is that he had this deep conviction that in the greatest moment of his, uh, greatest uh, window of opportunity and uh, opposition in his life, he remembers that he could have done a lot of things. Notice this. He could have appealed for mercy. He could have called for a miracle. He could have reminded the, the king of all of his exploits. He raised someone back from the dead. But notice this, that Paul, in this moment of vulnerability, this moment of opposition, notice what he does to King Agrippa. FYI, King Agrippa was the great-grandson of the king that tried to kill Jesus in Bethlehem when he slaughtered babies. He was the great-nephew of the king that actually killed John the Baptist when he took his head off his shoulders. And this king was in the same family. His dad, King Agrippa I, was the, was the same king that actually killed James, the brother of Jesus, and actually arrested Peter with the same intention. He's in this heavy moment of his life, and he could, have, he could have defended himself with accomplishments. He could have defended himself with special treatment because he was a Roman citizen. But here's what I want to say is he didn't justify his action. He simply said, I am here because I believe in the promises of God. I believe in the promises of God. So I'm going to talk to you for the next few weeks about the power of living your life standing on the promises of God. Today I want you to write this title down for my message. I want you to write this down, standing on it. Next week, I'm going to talk, teach you how to fight with it. But today, we're going to talk about standing on it. Are you ready to go? Father, I just pray you would bless today. I thank you for, Lord, a breeze to continue to blow through this tent. I pray you would speak to your people, whether they're online in their pajamas or whether they're in this tent, not in their pajamas. We love you so much. We ask you that you would do mighty things, miracles, signs, and wonders. Add, Lord, add, Lord, knowledge to people that don't have it. Populate heaven, depopulate hell in Jesus' name. If you believe it, come on, bless the Lakers. Everyone said amen. 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 Have you ever noticed that the younger generation technology is changing them? All the parents said amen. 
I feel like being about 40 years of age, being a millennial, is uh, it's kind of weird. You're like right in the middle between two generations. Like those older than you don't know how to text, and those younger than you don't, don't know how to write. Are you following me? It's wild. We, uh, we live in an era, a time this younger generation does not know what it's like to, to experience a commercial. They don't know what commercials are. There's a lot of things that this younger generation has no idea, like pencils, Scantron test, designed in hell. Come on. They don't know anything about that. They don't know about a lot of things. They, I'm fearful that there's common practices that they have no idea how to navigate because of technology. Like we all know that kids stopped playing in the yard in the 1990s. Most kids today do not go outside. They are locked up in their rooms, come on, glued to a screen. But it's amazing is that I'm like, man, how do kids, if they don't play outside, how, they probably don't even know how to get um, animal offerings off their shoes. They don't play in the yard, so maybe they don't even know how to take, they don't clean their shoes off. Now, we know if you're, if, if you're older, you know what I'm talking about right now, but if you ever step in something you don't want to step in, the older generation knows there is an easy four-part process to cleaning your shoes. Young people write this down. Number one, you want to find a curb. Come on, somebody. You got to find a curb. Curb deals with the major mass. You follow me? Once you deal with the major mass, you then want to find some sort of body of water. Puddle, come on, a little like little curb, creek, uh, river. And you just kind of want to put your foot in there and you want to kind of rub it in the water to loosen, come on, the particles. And then you want to find some sort of grass, uh, not turf in the tent. Come on, somebody. Just grass, outside, real grass. You want to free up what's going on on your foot. And if you're OCD, the fourth process of cleaning, if you step in something you don't want to step in, is you get a stick. I won't divulge details. But there's a process. Most young people, they don't know this. And uh, it's thinking about growing up, stepping into something you don't want to step in, and how it could affect, you know, it's like a haircut. A good haircut could make your day or a bad one could ruin your month. Um, you step in something and it could affect your atmosphere. I don't know if you've been there before, but you, what's that smell in the car? You stepped in something. And I, I was praying this week and God, forgive me, he speaks to me in kind of, you know, Mark Francie type of ways. But I had this picture of, you know, circumstances right now in the world. It's almost like we are, we are stepping in circumstances that affect the smell of our lives, affect the smell of our thoughts, affect the smell of our attitudes. It's like, why, why are you in such a bad mood, Dad? Why are you in such a bad mood, Mom? And it's like, well, I, I was watching the news. I went to a family gathering. I said, are we going to have a good time or are we going to talk about what's happening in the world? And it's amazing because we're going through all these things right now, and I felt like this picture God gave me was, is you either step in circumstances or you have the choice to stand on the promises of God. Really, in life, you have two choices. You can be a victim to your present circumstances or you can be surrendered to standing on the promises of God. Now, I know you might tune me out a little bit. like, Mark's kind of an old school message, promises. I want to remind even a younger generation that the Bible is not just any book. It is a work of literature that's composed of love stories, love notes that are full of promises. 
There's actually one scholar that said that there's 7,487 promises that he found as he studied the Bible. I'll say it again. How many promises? 7,487 promises. And I believe that you're either standing on God's promises or you're stepping or you're tolerating stepping in the circumstances of what currently is happening now. How do you have joy in a world that doesn't have much joy? How do you have peace when you watch a, a television program that is trying to evaporate any peace that you have? How do you have, are you following me right now? Huh? With current circumstances not being solid, how do you navigate with stability? You see, faith is a deeply held belief that God will keep his promises. That's what faith is. It's a deeply held belief that God will keep his promises. I realize this, that promises are only as good as the person that makes the promise. Who's what I'm talking about here? Who had that friend growing up that, I forgot my wallet guy. Who had that friend? I forgot my wallet. Can you spot me? I forgot my wallet. You've forgotten your wallet all year. I have paid for a burrito every day of your life at school. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my borrowed money. You ever have a friend like this? I'll pay you back. It's like, no, you won't. Just ask for money. You don't need a loan. You just need a gift. You ever have a friend like this? Here's what you know is that people that make a promise, the promise is only as valuable as the person that is giving it to you. We all seen, come on, Dumb and Dumber, 250000 You might want to hang on to that IOU. The guy knew I am not ever getting that money back because the promise is only as strong as the person that offers the promise. And what I want to remind you is, is that Jesus came onto the world, into the earth, as the greatest promise sent from God the Father. He was the promise of salvation to humanity. He was the promise of, oh, you got sin issues, you got some darkness in your family, in your life. I'm going to send my son to deal with it. What was lost in the first three chapters of the Bible would re be redeemed over the next 1186 chapters through Jesus himself. What are you saying is that God gave promises because he is a promise-giving God, but he's also a promise-keeping God. Come on, can I get a Pentecostal amen? Take a Baptist head nod. Presbyterian deep breath. You can give me a Latter-day Saint deep breath. I don't care what you give me. Just give me something today. I, uh, I'm convinced that many people don't realize that there are promises that even though you cannot see them, they still exist. They are still powerful. And many people think that, man, I have to act a certain way, live a certain way. I have to be a part of the right family, the right pedigree. I have to go to church a certain amount of times before God will honor his promises. But I want you to know that when your wife gets pregnant, that baby has done nothing for you. Hasn't, hasn't gotten you coffee, hasn't mowed your yard, hasn't emptied the dishwasher. That kid hasn't taken out the trash. Pretty much when babies are born, they spend the first two years of their life trying to talk you out of loving them. Are you following me? Go to the bathroom on you. They eat. They sleep. They ruin the clothes. You bought them. Come on. These kids have done nothing for you. Yet, before you even see them, you know that you would do anything for them. This is who God is. Do you know why, as a grandfather, as a grandmother, before you even see your grandbaby, that you would be willing to give your own life for it? Because you know that something inside of that child actually is a part of who you are. Do you know why God has such a passion to give promises to his kids? 
Because even before you acknowledge him as your father, he is proud to call you his kids. You haven't done anything for him. None of us have earned us. Most of us spent the first part of our lives talking God out of loving us. Anybody like me? I spent 18 years spitting in the face of God. But God, it says, is rich in mercy. And actually made up his mind years ago that he would not treat me the way that I deserve to be treated. That he would actually treat me the way that Jesus deserved to be treated. You see, promises were given because we belong to God. Promises are given because they are actually indicators of what God's will is to his children. When you and I pass away on the earth, our will will be read to our existing heirs. And that will will actually determine what goes to who because of the desire of the person that wrote the will. Today we have people that are dying destitute, dying in anger, dying in lust, dying in unforgiveness, dying in anxiety and fear and hopelessness because they don't know that they belong to a heavenly father that has promises that are good for their lives. God is a promise-giving God. And I love this that Paul basically says, hey, before everyone here today, I'm not going to talk about how great I am. I'm going to talk about how great the promises of God are. You see, Paul knew that, that like Abraham, like Noah, like Isaac and Jacob and Mary and Rahab and Isaiah, that everyone throughout the history of humanity that has done something in life with God and for God was a believer in the promises of God. Like Noah, for instance. Noah believed God and believed in rain before rain was a word. Do you know that God asked a man to save the world with a floating zoo before it's ever rained? The earth used to get watered from the, from the ground up. It hadn't rained yet. And God said, build a boat. We're going to save the world with it. He's like, I need to build a ship, but I, I know a guy. Church jokes. I love this because Noah believed God before it was a word, and he, and he built a boat. Abraham packed a U-Haul up. We'll talk about this next week. Without a destination to drive to, but he believed God at his promises. Joshua led two million people into enemy territory because of God's promises. He didn't take the land. He took God at his word. People that do great things in life, they believe that God is not only a promise maker, but he is a promise keeper. Genesis chapter 1, nine times God said, and immediately something happened. Whenever humanity leverages their existence on what God speaks, there is always power that moves. You see, God is a promise-giving God, and he's a promise-keeping God. How do you know? Because number one, or a couple, couple thoughts about God facts, is that he's unchanging. Why is this such a big deal? Because if God was a changing God, he could change his mind. But James says in, in chapter 1, verse 17, that God never changes. Do you know why we change? We change because we can improve. God's not an improver. To improve signifies that you can actually get better. That God cannot do. We have to change. Uh, we change because uh, there, there's a lot of reasons why we need to change. Improvement. We change because there's things that we didn't see originally. Do you know that God has never said this phrase? You know what it just occurred to me? He has never said this. I just thought of something. He's not like you or me that gets thoughts on the fly. He knows the end from the beginning, and he does not change. 
Well, Mark, if God was so good, why? I, I don't, where's God at in the world? I want you to know that God created the world just like Steve Jobs created the iPhone. But just because Steve Jobs created the phone does not mean that he lives inside of the phone. People say, well, Mark, science is proving that, that Christianity isn't real. No, science is verifying that there was a creator. And listen, I'm not scared of a scientist that can break this phone down into nothing, take it completely apart, and tell me how to put it back together again and what everything inside of it does. Science does not disprove who God is. It actually validates the intricate details of his creative nature. Steve Jobs does not live inside of the phone. Just like God, even though he's in the world, is not limited, come on, to this world. Can I get an amen in here? He's unchanging. What else do you know about God? Facts, he's, he's faithful. Hebrews 10, 10, 23 says God can be trusted to keep his promises. He can be trusted to keep his promises. Some of you are like, Mark, what, what promises? How about you don't have to live angry the rest of your life? How about your dad was a cheater, your granddad was a cheater, but you don't have to die a cheater? How about you were, you were born with one dispensation, but you don't have to be die in the same dispensation? That God is a God that can give you a new birth. Why does God tell Nicodemus at night? Come on, Nick at night. Why does he say you have to be born again? Because he wants you to know that regardless of how you were naturally born, God offers a new birth. A new birth to a new bloodline. Listen, you are usually born looking like your parents, but you are born again with a desire to look like your heavenly father. God wants his kids to look like him. He's unchanging. He's faithful. How about this? God is strong. It's so funny that people think that Jesus was like some timid introvert that lived in a van down by the river. We think he's something like just hippie, like shopped at Urban Outfitters, right? Like... Just like down, just, just a little philosopher, kind of quiet, like a pseudo-philosophical, uh, come on, sit down, let's just talk a little bit. <laughs> but I want to remind you, this guy was not only, he was not only uh, brilliant, yeah. but he somehow had an ability not only to see miracles materialize, but he had a voice that was loud enough. Think about this, the largest crowd scholars say that Jesus spoke to was 15,000 people. Can you imagine 15,000 people without a microphone? He's not like, hey, guys, bring it all together. <laughs> Jesus had a boisterous voice. The Bible says that when he spoke, he had authority. It says that when he spoke, that darkness began to flee. People forgot they were hungry for days at a time. People were willing to remove ceilings and ceiling tiles off of houses to get people into the to the a, a clear line of who, where Jesus was, he actually had a strength. Romans four twenty one says God is able to do whatever He promises. One scholar said years ago, if God wants bananas to grow on telephone poles, get ready to pick. God can do anything, anywhere, at any time. Some modern scientists wrote an article about how it was impossible for Jonah to survive in a fish. They did a study on this. It would just be, it would be clinically impossible. The acids of the stomach, the duration in the body, the living conditions in the well, it's just impossible. One guy told me this like it was news. You believe that, that Jonah could live three days inside the belt. Scientists have proven that it's impossible. And I was like, I know. 
I'm not arguing that. I wouldn't argue anything in the Bible that was impossible being impossible. I would just argue there's a God that actually can step past where humanity ends. He can keep going. Where our asphalt is finished, he just keeps on driving through. Reminds me, come on, a Back to the Future, somebody. Marty McFly goes, there's not enough runway to get to 88 miles an hour. Come on, Doc said, where we're going, there aren't roads. God is a God that can take us further and faster and beyond. There are impossibilities, but we serve a strong God. He's not only strong. Do you know that God cannot lie? You know why men lie? Men usually lie to make themselves look better than they already are. Do you know that God cannot get better looking than he currently is? He doesn't have to lie to impress anybody. He's never lied. People lie. Human beings lie because they're trying to say something that they wish was actually true or what they wish they could actually make happen. God has never had a thought in his head or a word on his tongue that he did not have the power to bring to pass. God is not a liar. Hebrews 6.18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. See, the question is not, will God keep his promises? Here's the question today. Will you build your life on them? God is a promise-making God. He is a promise-keeping God. I don't care if you're 90 years old or you're 19. Listen, he has a promise for your future. He has a promise for your life. Do you realize these 7,484 promises, they're not all necessarily for the next life. Most of them are for this life. Are you hearing me today? Like you don't need a promise of healing when you're living with perfect health. You don't need a promise of restoration where there's no frailed relationships in heaven. I don't need a promise of restoration in my family when I'm living with a perfect family forever. Most of God's promises deal with this side of eternity. Here's what we know is that the question is not, will God keep his promises, but will we build our lives on his promises? Psalms 24, 14 says it this way, that there's actually friendship with God. It's reserved for those who revere him. With those people, God shares the secrets of his promises. One translation says it this way, the secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. I love it because throughout history, there's been problems with families, with individuals, with nations. But here's what we know is that every, promise, every problem in this life, God has given us a promise for. Yeah. I could take you, you give me a problem, I don't care what it is. In your family, in your marriage, in your health, in your kids. Are you hearing me today? Yeah. Every problem, it's like God has already thought about it. And he has supplied with us a promise, a a. a a, a tied written document that says, look, if you're dealing with this, remember this. God is a promise giving God. See, you have two choices in life when you're faced with difficulties. You can step in the smell of current circumstances or you can choose to stand on the promises of God. I want you to know that in this era, 2020, one of the weirdest years in history, which I believe is going to be like a mullet. Come on. There's going to be a party in the back of it. We are going to get past this business up front nonsense. And I do believe in a God that is going to restore what's broken. He's going to unite what's divided. He's going to heal what's been wounded. He's going to remove what needs to be taken away. Are you hearing me today? He's a promise-making God. What are you standing on? 
Peter says that promises that God gives are not just great, they're very great. He says they're not just valuable. Second Peter 1.4 says that they are precious. He says that the promises of God are so powerful, they actually make us partakers of God's divine nature. Come on, write that down. You want to partake? What does that mean to partake? Peter says, look, I know what it's like to be a coward, to be a chameleon Christian. I call them California Christians sometimes. Come on, somebody. Like, you know how to sing songs in church and speak Christianese in the language of Zion? At church, you don't even need a comforter because the Lord's your comforter. Come on. It's like, you know, you don't need. I I know some people are like, man, I know how to serve God in in Christian worlds. But when I get around my non-Christian friends, my faith evaporates. I want you to know that we survey God that actually, like Peter, Peter tells us, look, I know what it's like to be a coward. I know what it's like to be a reed. You know what reeds do is they, they just, they go whatever direction the water's, wherever the current is, that's where they go. But he says, you know what, I remember being a coward. I remember denying Jesus three times. I remember being embarrassed about my faith when a 12-year-old girl at a fire pit said, you're one of his followers, and I was embarrassed of a 12-year-old girl. I know what it's like to actually say, I'm done. I'm done serving Jesus. I'm going back to fishing. But I also know what it's like when Jesus would actually seek me out. He would tell the early disciples, tell Peter I'm coming for him. That he'd actually provide fish, more fish than our boat could bring in. He actually cooked fish on a fire put for me. And here's what I know is he changed my name. He changed my nature. And here's what the promises of God do is they turn reeds into rocks. God's promises make us... They give us the ability to not die like we were born, but to give us an ability to become like our father when we were born again. The promises of God, hardwire can change, can change the hardwire nature of our humanity. God's promises, according to Peter, are precious. They're greatly valuable, and they give us the ability to participate in the divine nature of God. Promises of God lead us into a new environment, They lead us into a holy reality. God's promises, write this down, replace what we do not know about the future with what we do know about God. Do you know what God's promises do? Hear me, church. Is they replace the fear, the anxiety of what I do not know about tomorrow, next month, next week, next year. And it replaces it with what I do know about God. The bank can come up here. I can feel something in this room. Listen, there is far more. Do you ever about this? We have, you know, 1,200 pages in my Bible. And do you know there is far more that we don't know about God than we do know about God? Yes. Isn't that an amazing thought? That the God that we have so much literature about, we have Proverbs and Psalms and historical writings and we have wisdom books and we have all these beautiful, beautiful stories about who he is. Listen, we know more we, we, we know less about God than we know about him. But here's what I know about life is we have to let what we do know about God shape what we don't know about life. That's why his promises are powerful. When you're facing a, a, a difficulty, a roadblock, man, he wants a divorce. My kids, she wants, she's still addicted to that. She's, he's still going after that drug. Or Man, my, my business is getting ready to fall apart, getting ready to file bankruptcy. What do you do? When you're facing circumstances in the current, but you still have a faith for the future. I'll tell you what you do. Promise standards do four things. Write this down. Promise standards, number one, if you're going to stand on God's promises, 
You have to make a decision today that I'm going to begin to ponder them. Say it with me, ponder. What does that mean? It means to think about. Do you know that what you think about shapes the climate? It's impossible to have a faith-filled life with a negative mind. I want to live faith-filled. We have a negative mind. How do you get rid of a negative mind? You start putting in God's thoughts. Joshua 1.8 says that if you meditate on this book day and night, that you'll actually be successful in all that you do. Some of you lack success not because you're not smart, but because you're not meditating on the right things. Psalms 1 verse 2, what's it say? He shall be like a tree that meditates on this book day and night. He'll, he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth his fruit in his season, his leaf's not going to wither, and whatever that guy does, guess what? It's going to prosper. Luke chapter 2, what's it say about Mary? It says in 2.19 that Mary, after all these miracles happened with baby Jesus, it says that she pondered all of these things in her heart. Do you know what's powerful in life, friends? Is what you give your thoughts to. You will actually take on the direction of your thoughts. Some of you are so petrified with fear because all you let your mind ponder on is fear thoughts. You know what fear is? Fear is faith in an uncertain future. You know what faith is? Faith is faith in an uncertain future. Do you know all that fear is? Is faith in reverse. It's faith in the inferior. Hebrews says that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Fear is a substance of things not hoped for, the evidence of things that haven't happened yet. Do you know it takes just as much energy to, to ponder on faith than it does to be pondering on fear? So many people, they ponder on the wrong things. And you know you're pondering on something. Because what you ponder on long enough, you'll begin to proclaim. You know what you've been watching because it'll come out of your mouth. How do you know some of you are thinking about sports because it's coming out of your mouth? NBA starting back this week. Lakers are going to win the championship. LeBron's going to MVP. I know some of you. Some of you, you proclaim. I want to remind you. Romans 10, 17. Write it down. Faith comes by. Faith comes by. You know where fear comes by? Hearing. You know where unity comes by? Hearing. You know where division is born? Hearing. What you listen to will shape the direction, the trajectory, the attitude, the psyche. Faith comes by. Why am I so downcast? It's because you are not pondering or proclaiming God's word. Well, Mark, I had a really bad day. We've all had bad days. Well, Mark, I sinned. We've all sinned. Well, Mark, I screw up. I, I did it again. We've all done it sometimes again. What do you do in low moments is you not only ponder the promises of God, you begin to proclaim the promises of God, and we'll go even beyond pondering and, and proclaiming. How about number three? We begin to pray. You know where things change is when you stop going, well, good things are going to happen for us. That's positive thinking. You know what's more passive? More, more powerful than positive thinking is the power of prayer. Positive thinking is, man, we're, gonna, man, we're believing that one day we're going to have a nice house here. Not live in an ugly million dollar home. Come on. Orange County, home of the ugliest million dollar houses in the world. Come on. We're going to have a nice house here one day. Positive thinking says, I think it's going to happen one day. Prayer goes past it. Prayers when my daughters and I and my wife get on the bed at night. We pray almost every night together. 
And my five-year-old and my 12-year-old begin to say, God, we believe. You made a way for us to have a beautiful life, a beautiful house. You made a way for us to have awesome friends, awesome family in Idaho. And if we left all of that to move here for you, we believe that you can do it again here in this land. When you're a five-year-old praying some faith-filled prayers like that, it is way stronger than just positive proclamations. It's the power of prayer. Prayer is when we believe. We, like Luke 11, 2 says, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. Listen, it's not prayer until you verbalize it. We're not in the Eastern meditation like, oh, we're just going to kind of empty our mind of thoughts. Biblical meditation is different than Eastern religions. Eastern religions, when you meditate, you're trying to empty your mind. Biblical meditation is when you fill your mind. I'm going to ponder on the promises of God. I'm going to believe that I am what God says that I am. Romans 8.37, that I'm more than a conqueror than him who loved me. Judges talks about that I am the Lord your God and I am with you. We have all these moments that life's out of control. I declare Romans 8.28 that you work all of this together for good. We have promises that, man, well, this, this, this world is dark and I can't see what's coming ahead of me. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. God, are you following me? He gives us promises to counteract the punches of this dark world that we live in. And when we begin to pray God's promises, all we have to do next is the Bible says, Paul says, just after you've done all, Stand. Stand in the promises of God. Having girded your waist with the belt of truth, having put on the shoes of peace, having put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and drawn out the sword of the Spirit, above all picking up the shield of faith which deflects every fiery dart of the enemy. He says, stand. You know where most of us lose out on promises of God? Is we don't, number four, we do not persist. That's why Paul, that's why Galatians says, it says in 6, 9, Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing what's right. He says, for you will reap if you do not lose heart. Write this down. We do not lose if we do not quit. I do not lose if I do not quit. Is it because of your power? No, it's because of God's power. Look, self-help's great, but there's something better than it. It's God's help. And God has a promise for your future. I don't have to die like my dad died. I don't have to live like my mom lived. I don't have to, listen, maybe some of you have great examples. Some of you didn't. I'm telling you that God wants you to die looking like him. And I want to live my life on the promises of God. See, promises are to be pondered, proclaimed, prayed, and persisted in. I want you to know that if you're tempted, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God gives a way of escape. If you're going through a challenging season of life, the Bible says that God is with us. Well, I got, a, I got a diagnosis of sickness. Well, Psalms 103 says God heals all my diseases. So you're one of those faith churches. Really? Does God heal everyone that gets prayed for? How many know the answer is no? But let me ask another question. Does God heal people sometimes? Does God do miracles sometimes? I would rather swing at a hundred balls that fly by and hit three of them than to live my whole life just watching the pitches fly by. Faith swings. Are you hearing me? Faith swings at the promises of God. God, you said you can restore a marriage. I'm swinging at it. You said that you can open up the barren womb. I'm swinging at it. 
You said that I can bind my kids to the perfect will of God. I'm swinging at it. You said that you can raise people up to be voices to the nations. I'm swinging at it. You said that your desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm swinging at it. You said it's your desire that, that the whole world, God so loved the, come on, the world that he gave his son. We're swinging at the world. Not just living for here and now. You said that we live in eternity. To not get sucked into the here and now, but to focus on what's eternal. Swinging at it. I said it before, but I'll say it again. C.S. Lewis said that if you aim at heaven in this life, you will get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth alone, you will miss both lives. We are going to be a people at Ocean's Church that base and build our lives on the promises of God. Are you really promises? Yeah, promises. Well, what happens when you don't see them? You just keep standing on them. You keep pondering them. God, you're going to make a way for us. God, you're going to bring this about. You're going to get a hold of my drug-using brother. You're going to get a hold of my family that's away from you. My kid can run from you, but he can't outrun you. God, my, my husband, he doesn't have a heart for you yet, but you're going to soften his heart. Man, we haven't been able to get pregnant, but God, you're going to open up. You're going to do something. You're going to, you're going to make a way. I want you to know that we are, we are believers. You know what an oxymoron is? A non-believing believer. You ever hear someone at work? Oh, that guy Mark, he's a believer. Sometimes I'm like, is he? He says he's a believer, but what is he believing for? Can I ask you today, what are you believing for? I got everything I need. No, no you don't. There's more. If you have everything you need without believing for something, Jesus died in vain. You either need to believe for some forgiveness. You need to believe God for some miracles to happen. Some opportunities to come your way. Anybody with me today? We are believers. We believe what God said. I believe God gave us a promise that we would be a church. We would be actually build a local church that raises up such big, God-fearing, Jesus-loving, devil-scaring people that God would be so pleased with it that he'd actually open up different campuses all over the world. That one day we'd have a major oceans campus at every major ocean on the earth. That these churches would go into cities and like, a, like an epidemic would just take over the city. Just go, man, it's, these, these people are turning our city right side up. Divorce rates are dropping in San Juan. Crime rates are dropping in San Juan. Racial, in, this stuff is dropping in San Juan. This anger and road rage and uh, like, like affairs and things are just changing in the city. Listen, if you go to a church that you don't want to become more like God in it, you're in the wrong church. Church is where we go to become more like God. It's where our sins go to die. It's where our bodies go to get healed. It's where our kids go to get tied up to the purpose of God. It's where dreams come. Are you hearing me today? This is what we believe, the promises of God. Stand to your feet with me today. I'm standing. We're standing on God's promises. Well, Mark, California's going to hell. You might believe that. That's not what my Bible says. You know what my Bible says about hell cities like Vegas? It actually says it this way. It says that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So listen, that means the darker a city gets, the more violent God's love gets. And I promise you, some people are retreating right now because it's just getting too scary for me. Listen, God is not a retreater. He's an invader. 
And God, I believe, sent us here and many other people into Orange County and into California. Some people are on their way out, but God's bringing some new troops in. My wife and I felt that when we moved here, he said, Mark, I'm bringing a new wave of troops that are going to come into this region and they're going to take back ground that we have surrendered to darkness. God owns Hollywood. God owns, come on, Capitol Hill. God owns the White House, the Capitol building. This country belongs to Jesus. It might not know it yet, but come on, that's the God that we serve. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Are you hearing me today? We forget sometimes because we think that the devil is more powerful than God. I want to remind you that demons in Jesus are not brothers. Lucifer in Jesus are not brothers. That is a part of a world religion, but that religion is a cult. Are you hearing me? Jesus is the son of God. He resurrected on the third day, took 12 homeschoolers between 13 and 22, and he changed the world upside down with 11 of them. 120 people in the upper room encountered his power. And from 120 people, more than 3 billion people on the earth today have encountered the reality and the truth of who Jesus is. Lies don't spread like that. Sorry, I'm fired up. I told myself it's going to get hot today. I'm going to preach till my underwear wet. Come on, somebody. Dirty. I want to pray for you. Would you close your eyes? Father, I just thank you for your presence. You're a promise-making. You're a promise-keeping God. You promise us to be fruitful in famines. You give us promises to heal us in seasons of sickness. You promise to restore our broken hearts. You promise to put us back together when worlds, the world shatters us. You promise us to come alive to the things of God when we live sleeping to them. And I pray today, whether we're in the tents or we're online, that you would, you would bring up a righteous appetite for your promises. Let us get jealous for the promises of God. Let us get, let's get vigilant, diligent for the promises of God. I want all that you died on the cross to give me. I want all that you died on the cross to give my babies, my grandkids. God, I want to exhaust every year, every month, every week. I want to leverage this life for the next life. I want to live for your promises. I want to build your kingdom. I want to be about what you're about. I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. God, fill me with a desire for the promises of God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.